Welcome to the Calvary Couples Podcast. We're going to continue our study in the book of Colossians. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to look through verses 6 through 23. We've been talking about putting Christ first or giving Christ first place in our life, and here we're going to look at how we can um, reject certain false teachings. You know, sometimes we put things ahead of Christ, and those can be uh, attitudes, actions, thoughts, they can be sinful, all different kinds of things that we put before Christ as priority. In this particular case, what was happening was the church was putting certain rules ahead of Christ. They were putting experiences ahead of Christ. And they were saying that their worth and their value and their status in the church and uh, in their lives in general was connected to either the rules that they followed or the special experiences that they had had that essentially made them better than the other people around them. So Paul's going to combat that in Colossians chapter 2 by stating to them that all of us have equal footing as at the cross of Jesus Christ. And we're going to walk through that together. So the first thing I want to make note of here in Colossians chapter 2 is that as believers, we keep growing in our faith. We trust Christ alone, and when we trust Christ alone, we can reject false teaching. So Paul uses three different terms for the Savior in verse 6. He uses the terms Jesus, he uses the terms Christ, and he uses the term Lord. And he warns the Colossians not to see these terms as what I'll describe as entities that worldly philosophy could separate. Jesus Christ as Lord is a cohesive term. It isn't separated, that they are all one and the same. If Jesus is Lord, then the believer's life must reflect that. So Paul recognized that although the Colossians had received Jesus as Savior, they also received him as Lord, that that was not the end of the matter. They had to continue to grow in trust and submission to him. Otherwise, Jesus isn't Lord. So this would help them grow in strong faith. And think about this. He uses this as a description in verse 7. Just as trees are difficult to move once their roots have taken hold, believers' active faith should keep them from wavering. And that is what I want for my life and what I want for your life, is that we are not like ships just tossed in the sea back and forth. When every wind of thing comes our way, whether it's struggle, whether it's adversity, whether it's different doctrine, that we aren't blown all over the place, that we are rooted and secure in our faith. Paul uses the term in verse 8, captive. And that comes from the description of what it would look like if you were pillaging or kidnapping. Think about pirates as an example. Our thinking is not to be caught up in and dominated by the world's philosophies, but we are to be captive to Christ and his truth and his word. You see, what was happening to the Colossian church was they were getting all caught up in philosophy. Now, philosophy in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with it. In fact, we should use logical ways to get from point A to point B. But Paul's warning is that they should avoid philosophy that is hollow and deceptive. You see, what was happening was there was a meshing in this church of pagan philosophy, Orthodox Judaism that was, you know, Old Testament Judaism, as well as the teachings of Christ were all getting mishmashed together. And that was causing a lot of hollow, deceptive, confusing philosophy that was promising freedom. It was promising enlightenment. But instead, what Paul says is that it was producing slavery and it was producing darkness. It was putting them back in bondage. So he denounced that. He denounced things that depend on human wisdom, that, de- that depend on principles of this world rather than on Christ. You might ask yourself, what does that look like? I think in our age, there's a few different things that creep into the church. One of those might be pragmatism, that we, we, we justify things in our Christian life. We justify the way we do things in the church, in our homes, and our families by, well, does the end justify the means? Well, that's not a, that's not a biblical philosophy. That isn't a theologically sound way to live. We live as Christ has called us to live regardless of what the outcome is going to be. From a worldly perspective, the outcome may not be exactly what we, the way things we wanted things to work out, but that doesn't mean that that isn't what God's called us to. 
Hedonism would be another thing. Hedonism is the idea that, well, I just do whatever feels good. If it feels good to me, then I do it. Well, that certainly isn't um, something that the scriptures have called us to. There's a whole lot of different ways um, that, that worldly thinking creeps into our lives and becomes the fabric of who we are. And we need to combat that by being true followers of Jesus Christ. So the second thing we find in verse 9 is that God gives forgiveness in spiritual life through faith in Christ alone. Why does faith in Christ alone matter? What was, the, what was the Colossian church struggling with that they needed to be reminded that our status is found in our faith in Christ alone? Well, the false teaching that was threatening the Colossian church, as I mentioned earlier, was Christian teaching combined with Jewish ritual, combined with pagan spiritual devotion. And what they were saying was, well, we're going to give you a fuller understanding of what real spirituality looks like if you do this, 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 and this. But Paul insisted that salvation in Christ needs none of that. Jesus himself had attained the union between God and humanity, that the world of pagan spiritual devotion, that Judaism and the law, that all those things could not accomplish. You see, Gentiles believers didn't need to adopt Jewish practices like circumcision that's mentioned here in this passage. It didn't protect against sin and death, only being in Christ that we read in verse 11 and 12. The resurrection of Christ testifies to the new spiritual circumcision power and effectiveness. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a metaphor that we have now, the separation that had uh, existed between us and God is no longer there because Jesus has reconciled us together. Jesus and Jesus alone. This language is used here that he has taken our sins and forgiven them and he has nailed them to the cross. Often, when a criminal was crucified, the list of their sins or their offenses was nailed to the cross with them. Paul's using that language to describe to the readers and to us today that our sins have been forgiven because they have been nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. It wasn't his crucifixion wasn't because of the sins that he committed. His crucifixion occurred because of our sins, your sin and my sin and the sins of the world. You see, the Roman and Jewish authorities, along with the voice of the mob, is what condemned Jesus. You see, Pagan spoke of other spirit powers and authorities, but Paul insisted that whatever power or authority may exist in the world, whether human or spirit, God showed his power over all them through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I say that all to say this. You and I don't lack anything that we need. We find it all in Jesus. We're not going to find it in rule following to achieve, to achieve a higher status, and we're not going to find it in special experiences that put us at a higher spiritual plane than others. We have the fullness of God dwelling in us in the Holy Spirit. So whatever comes our way, young or old, may we be sure that whatever we need comes from him, not through other people's ideas about faith, spirituality, or religion. And that launches us to the most practical point is that we must hold fast to Christ and reject man-made philosophies and regulations. You see, the word for judge or disqualify that we find in verse 16 is the idea of umpires or referees at a sporting event. And they have a responsibility. They look at the, at the play that's happening in front of them, and then they uh, look at how it's being done within the confines of the rules. So in this case, there were people in the church that were setting themselves up in judgment over some of the Colossians. They were saying, hey, you're not following the rules the way that I see them. And they claimed that the Colossians had failed to be as spiritual as they were, as evidenced by the Colossians' lack of participation in special festivals, uh, Jewish festivals, Sabbaths. And they may say things, well, well, I attend the New Moon Festival and follow every Sabbath. But Paul puts the Sabbath, representing all ceremonial law, in its place. 
Its purpose was to prepare us for the reality for Christ. What he's saying is Jesus already finished the work of what these things represented in the past. They represented Jesus, and he's come. He's completed it. There were other enemies of the gospel there at the church in Colossians, and they had formed their judgments on the basis of visions and dreams, what I mentioned earlier, like special experiences. For instance, they might say something like, let me tell you what God told me last night, me, a humble servant. Now, that can be somewhat useful. I do believe that God speaks to us, but we must compare how we believe the Holy Spirit of God is leading us to what the scriptures have already revealed to us. And what I mean by that is if God is telling you or someone else to do something contrary to what he's already told us in the Bible, then we need to reject that. So Paul saw right through their spiritual pretenses. In reality, what was happening was these people were proud. They weren't humble. They were puffed up with their idle ideas, not real spiritual substance. In fact, these people had no real connection to Christ, the head of the church. Connection to the head of the church, Jesus Christ, brings real growth to all parts of the body. It doesn't put down, one part of the body doesn't grow so the other parts can be put down. Real spiritual growth in a person helps all those around them. It doesn't put someone at a higher status to pridefully reign their um, special experiences over everyone else. So verse 20 through 23 make it even more clear. The people of Christ have no need for extensive lists of prohibition. Paul uses the language, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Those are principles of this world, not principles of the kingdom of God. So as with all human commandments, they fall short of their goal in real life. They fail. They appear to be spiritual, but they have no use before God. The proper discipline of the body for the purpose of not being mastered by it is not at all the same as imposed, I'll use this word, asceticism that seeks to generate spiritual benefit. As with all Satan's inducements, the result is not up to the advertisement. Now, there's a lot there that can be unpacked, and I, I don't want to get into it because I think we'll unpack it in other, other places. Because you might be saying, well, are there not certain rules that we ought to follow to um, become more like Christ? Certainly, that's not what's being brought here at all. What's being um, described here in Colossians chapter 2 is, I am doing these things following these rules so that I can get some special kind of corner or status with God that makes me better than other people. I'll describe it this way. It's important to distinguish asceticism with the spiritual disciplines. Spiritual discipline looks like this. In our family, we pray before meals. We read the scriptures. We pray together before bed. Uh, Asceticism looks like this. Oh, you fast one morning a week and pray for 15 minutes before work? That's nothing. I fast an entire day and pray for an entire hour. All this mindset does is lead to pride and indulgence eventually. It's puffed up. It's trying to lift myself up over someone else. Well, look at how big my Bible is compared to you, how small your Bible is. Look at what I wear versus what you wear. Look at what I do for my day versus what you do for your day. That's what's happening here in the Colossian church. And that's not right. That doesn't lead to a spirit of of unity. It doesn't lead to a spirit of oneness. And it certainly doesn't reflect the humility found in Jesus. Remember, our goal is always to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. Does it exhibit love? Does it exhibit joy? Does it exhibit peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith? Against such, there is no law. There are no list of rules that can push against the fruit of the Spirit. They're all complete as we become more like Christ. So let the Bible's pure gospel message produce neither asceticism or sinful living that says, well, I can do whatever I want to do. The true follower of Christ lives right in the middle and avoids both ditches. The ditch of, well, I'm free in Christ. I can do whatever I want to do. As Paul says, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. It also doesn't produce false holiness that puffs one above another to say, well, I'm better than you. We all realize that the foot of the cross is where we find complete 
uh, where, where we find level ground, where all of us are seen in God's eyes as the same. We bear the righteousness of Christ because of what Jesus has done for us. So I hope you'll take this away uh, this morning, and that is that test all the teaching and philosophy against the truth of God's word. Be a student of the Bible. Develop strong faith in Christ, and let your roots be strong and built up in him. I hope this lesson has been helpful, and I look forward to studying with you next time here on the Calvary Couples Podcast.